0: All right, we're going to get started. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If I have uh, not gotten to meet, meet you, I'd love, to, love to, to meet you guys. If you're a guest with us, um, come find me afterwards. and I'd love to say hi. Um, yeah, welcome to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us, we're honored that you're here this morning. We're honored that you would spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. We are continuing on um, in our series, Walking Through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. We've been here in the sermon since uh, on May, I believe. We have three more weeks. This week and then two more weeks, and then we will be finished with the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read verses um, chapter 7. We're in verses 12 through 14 today. 12 through 14. If you want to follow along and you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible under every other seat. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home. That's our gift um, to you. And they'll also be on the screens to my left and to my right if you want to follow along there. So Matthew 7, verse 12, 13, and 14. Just three verses today. So whatever you do, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you as we do every week for your word. We couldn't do what we're doing this morning without you having already spoken to us and revealed yourself to us in your word and through the power of your spirit. And we're so thankful for that. I'm thankful for you revealing yourself in the first part of the service so far. And I pray now as we dig into your word that you would also reveal yourself in it. That we would be changed by it. That as we read it, we would be, uh, understand that we're not merely reading words on a page or words just written by human people. But these are words that have been inspired by you. These are your words. This is you revealing yourself to humanity. And that in and of itself is an act of grace and mercy, that you would choose to do that for us. So help us this morning understand the text. I pray you would change our minds and change our hearts and change the way we would live, we would live as we leave this place this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There's a, a television show that my wife and I have recently gotten into over the last couple of years, and it's called The Good Place. The Good Place. And uh, many of you have... Um, seen the show and know of this show, and it's, it's a comedy, a network comedy, and um, there's a lot of good comedies out there on, on TV, but the thing that makes this one different and the reason why I think it's, it's gotten so much traction and getting such good reviews is because it's a, it's a really smart comedy. It's an intellectual comedy, and it deals with um, a, a big philosophical issue, and that is where do we go when we die? It's called, that's why it's called the good place. There's a good place, a bad place. Um, they deal with this issue of where do people go when they die? Is there a heaven and hell? Who gets to go there? Are there more than two places? What are these places like? Is entry to these places based off of merit, or is it based off something else? And I think the, way, the reason why this show has been successful is because I think all human beings at some level... Um, wrestle with that issue, think about that issue, and it's done through kind of the comedic lens, which I think is kind of comes in the back door for people, so people aren't confronted immediately with this heaven or hell idea, but that's what the whole show is about, is about what happens when someone dies, and what are these places in the afterlife like? In our passage today, Jesus is going to talk about this very topic. He's going to talk about this very topic um, definitely as it re- pertains to eternal life, but also just as it pertains to two ways to live while we find ourselves on earth. So let's uh, first read uh, verse 12 again. And this is a verse that we read last week, but it's the connector verse between the passage last week and, and really verses 13 and 14. So let's look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophet's. So Jesus sums up um, really his entire teaching um, in the Sermon on the Mount so far with this statement, what is commonly referred to as the golden rule, the golden rule. He's taking everything that he's taught, all these ethical teachings, all the ways we should um, treat one another, and he says, um, do unto others as you hope that they would do unto you. This This sums everything up. And then in verse 13, he's going to make a turn to the application of this sermon. And we can't forget that this is a sermon. And all good sermons have application and really exhortation woven in, either woven in throughout the sermon or at the end. And Jesus does both. He weaves application and exhortation in throughout this the sermon. He's done that all along. But really here, um, beginning now for the next few weeks that we're going to look at, he really drives the application home. We begin to feel the urgency. He really begins to exhort us from this week and then the next two weeks, we're gonna see that. And he uses stories to do that, or really more illustrations, everyday illustrations um, that we all know to really drive home these kind of exhortative points that he's going to give us. And so he's in a sense saying, okay, my sermon's wrapping up. It's coming to an end. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the calling I'm putting out before us, And today, he actually is going to push us to a decision, um, as he will the next couple of weeks. There's a decision point to be made for all of us, I believe, um, at the end of our time today. And we're going to look at that today. So let's jump in to uh, verses 13 and 14. 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So just in a a straightforward way, what we have in this passage, we have two gates, right? We have two roads, and we have one of these gates or roads um, many will find, and one of these gates or roads few will find. One of these gates or roads leads to destruction, and one of these gates or roads leads to life. Okay, that's, that's the basic teachings of this passage. Now, Jesus uses a, a, an image that we all understand, right? A gate and a road. we have all familiar with gates and roads. And um, he uses it. So I, wanna, I want you to picture in your mind that you're on a, you know, semi-busy road, maybe walking, <clears throat> and you come to a dead end. And you have these two gates that are kind of close together, and you have a decision to make. And on the one hand, the narrow gate, think of a gate that's smaller Maybe there's some brush or there's some trees that are kind of covering the entrance. You try to, try to peek down the road that this gate leads to, and it's, it's, it's narrow. You can't really tell what is too far beyond that gate. The next to it, you have a wide gate, a gate that you could fit a lot of people in at one time, maybe drive a car through that gate or multiple cars through the gate. And you can see fairly far beyond that gate, and it's, the road still looks wide, and it looks comfortable, and it looks paved. Like it's it's an easy road at first glance. Okay, this these are the two these are the two gates or the roads as were as Jesus wants us to picture it standing outside the gate. Let's talk about this wide road, this wide gate. For a for a traveler or a, a, a visitor, um, it seems comfortable, right? It, it's attractive, right? Like um, just from any of us who are walking down the street, we see these two gates. We're more than likely to go to the wide gate. Looks like more people have gone on it before. It looks like somebody's kept, kept it up. I can see further down the road. There's less unknowns involved. So just at first glance, it seems like this is the easier way. And it seems like this this is the more promising road to go down. But Jesus in this passage says, this is the road that leads to destruction, actually. It leads to destruction. Then you have the narrow road. Now you have this narrow road. And, 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 and narrow in in the original language here, really, it means... Um, this idea of, of narrowing, and it's easy easy to think of fluid. Think of water going through a pipe or some kind of um, waterway, and the, at, at, at a point that it narrows, that water speeds up. It constricts the water to force it to move faster, and that's really what this word means. It's a it's a narrow road. It's constricting. There's it's it's um, it's narrowing by applying pressure. Okay, and we in our culture we don't understand very well this idea. Of narrow, we have so many different options in our culture, so many different um, opinions. You take um, how to parent, many, many different opinions on how to parent. Talk about um, get, getting in shape and exercise and eating right, many opinions, right? You can kind of pick from a variety of different things that you think will work for you. Social issues, we can all take different angles and different degrees. Um, on social issues. There's just opinions on everything in our world, and that's at the the, the palm of our hands. But what Jesus is saying in a world full of opinions, a world full of of well-informed paths and and getting to kind of choose whatever you want, he says, when it comes to me, there's no middle road. There's no middle road. This isn't a menu of ethics and, and morals that we get to pick and choose from. There are two ways. There are two ways to do this life, one is life, one leads to destruction. And our culture is one. Cultures swing back and forth in this throughout history, but our culture in this moment finds itself in a, in a very wide moment, right? To, to, to kind of fit in in our culture is to be one who has wide views. Like everyone kind of gets an opinion. Everyone ha- gets, gets to kind of determine their way that leads to human flourishing. And if anyone's narrow, that is often condemned, which is, by the way, inconsistent because if you're a wide person, you should accept everyone's opinion, even the narrow people's opinion, right? But that's, that's a whole nother conversation. But um, our culture, in, in general, tolerates some, some really foolish and silly things. But the moment that you decide to be narrow and kind of take a, take a stand or take an opinion, usually that is condemned. And really, all people are narrow to some degree. It just depends where you drop your gate, right? Like we're all narrow at a certain point. We stop being wide at a certain point. It just depends where we want to drop that narrow gate. But it's clear here that Jesus is saying that, that that my way is narrow. Christianity is narrow. Not everyone gets in, and not everyone gets to be right. It's just not the case, and this is very straightforward. And Jesus, even more in a more straightforward way, in John fourteen six says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And no one comes to God, no one comes to the Father, no one can be saved unless he comes straight through me, period. And that's just a very straightforward statement. You know, there, there's, no, there's no choosing here, there's no deciding, there's no picking how, how much of Jesus or all roads lead. No, he's saying, it's me. You have to come through me to experience life, eternal life, a relationship with God, freedom and joy, all of those things. So I want to talk for a minute, what kinds of people are on these two roads, because this, this uh, these two verses are fairly popular, and I think when we tend to think of these verses, usually they're pulled out of context, and that's, that's, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It, it's a, it's a cha- sermon that covers three chapters. So when we're talking about passages sometimes, you have to pull them out of the context. But oftentimes, when this, these two verses are pulled out of context it's almost to pit the moral and the immoral against each other. Like the narrow road is the moral way, and the wide road is the immoral way. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. There is some truth to that. But that is not what Jesus is saying, because that's not what Jesus has talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is staying with this theme of the kingdom of God that if you have put your faith in Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, then you will live a lifestyle according to the kingdom. And if you live according to the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom, you're going to have a life of flourishing more than likely. You're going you're to be blessed in some of these ways. This is what the Beatitudes are about. So who, what kinds of people are on this broad road? And, I wanna, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here just for, to help us with categories. I'm going to Put two, pe- two different categories of people here. Uh, one type of pe- person going into down the, raw, the broad road or the wide gate are irreligious people. These are people who don't care about God, really don't care to have a relationship with him, probably don't even care about this passage. Now, these are people who set themselves up to be their own God. They make their own calls. They determine what's, what's right and wrong in their life. Um, they put their desires and dreams and wants and needs ahead of what God says in the Bible. Okay, this is just the irreligious person. But then the other person going to the broad road is the religious person. This person who is um, self-righteous, who determines to make, take the law and, and moral obedience as their means to salvation. A person who says, you know, God, I can be a good person apart from you. I don't really need a savior because I've got this because I'm a good person. And I can, uh, this person takes Jesus and kind of puts maybe on top of this veneer of of self-righteousness and basically doesn't have the humility to come to Jesus to say, I need you. I need you to be my savior and I need your help to be able to walk out the commands that you've given us in scripture. This is the, the type of person that Jesus has continually come back to in the gospels, the Pharisees. The Sadducees calls, calls even in Sermon on the Mount, he calls people hypocrites, right? And these are the religious people who are acting self-righteous, but underneath, um, they're just as wicked as the irreligious people. Now, who is on the narrow road? Who's on the narrow road? Because that's, uh, right, a question. I would want to, then who, who gets to go down the narrow road? It says, few find it. Who goes down it? it says, the one, the one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. The one who has humbled himself to a point to admit that they need a Savior that they can't save themselves, that they're not looking to their own righteousness to save them, that they're looking to Jesus' righteousness to save them, and then they ask the Spirit of God to come into their life and, and ask for help to be able to live out the commands of Scripture through faith. This is the person that finds the narrow road. And I mentioned earlier that Jesus today is really putting us towards a decision. right? He's confronting us here. We should feel confronted a little bit by this by this particular part of the sermon, because I think Jesus is doing that on purpose. But he's really been confronting us all throughout this sermon, right? Like he, he's, taught, he's walked through these, these ethical teachings, and he's confronted our, not just our actions, but our, our motivations, our attitudes, our thoughts. And I think a, in a room this size, I think some of us were probably confronted by some things, and others were confronted by other things. And so some of you maybe th- think that, okay, Jesus, I- I'm really good with you. I'm-, I'm tracking with you in a lot of stuff. I think a lot of the things you've really said are good or, 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 or interesting. But um, once you started talking about being a mourner, I just, you lost me there. Or peacemaker, that's just not me. I just don't think I'm ever going to be a peacemaker. Or turning the other cheek. Like, really, Jesus? Like, uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't really turn the other cheek the way you asked me to turn the other cheek. Or, or fighting lust plucking out my eye, like going to that degree, like Jesus, are you, are you, are you serious? Or giving to the needy? You know, these, these, these things aren't, these aren't for me. These aren't for me. That, that's just not who I am. That's just not what I'm going to believe. And I think when Jesus puts this choice in front of us, he's putting all the teachings that he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount in front of us to say, will you follow me? Will you submit to your, li- your life to my rule and reign? Okay, Jesus is not expecting us, expecting perfection out of us. He's not expecting us to obey all of these things perfectly. But what he is saying is, he's saying, when you come to me for salvation, when you come and say, I want you to be my Savior, you're also asking me to be your Lord, my Lord. To, to, that, that you will invite me to, to come into your life through the Spirit and, and have rule and reign over your life. And we do this by surrendering our lives to him and and asking the Spirit to help us obey everything that he's taught us and follow him in the Sermon on the Mount, the things that he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the decision he puts before us. And we think about when Jesus calls people to follow him in the Scriptures, this shouldn't surprise us. In the beginning of the Gospels, he just says, follow me, to his earliest disciples. He says, follow me, and it was seemingly instant. They just dropped everything and followed him. There wasn't any sugarcoating. He just said, hey, come. And they came. And we see this same posture in the apostles when they're preaching in the book of Acts. They're preaching, and at the end of every sermon, they are putting people to a decision. They are asking people to put their faith in the gospel and to believe the gospel. So those who are the few are the ones who have faith in Jesus. Those are the ones who will take the narrow road. Now, don't get caught up in the numerical stuff here. because in this oh, that, that trips people up sometimes when you, it said, Jesus says... Um, few will, fa- few will uh, be on the, the narrow road will be few and the wide road will be many. And he's not talking about numerical values here because in the very next chapter, Matthew 8, Jesus actually says many will find the kingdom of God. Many will come into the kingdom of God. So he can't be talking about pure numerics here. But I think what he's trying to teach us is that there's a certain nature with the broad way. Like our culture, our life, this world, it will guide us and push us and usher us towards the Broadway. And it actually takes some intentionality, it takes some questioning our beliefs, it takes some humility, it takes some deep thought to actually consider the narrow way. And this is, I think, what Jesus is trying to make, that you will go down the broad road unless you take account of your life, be reflective, and really feel and and, and know your need for a Savior. And this is a massive decision that Jesus puts in front of us. And it's interesting how he uses this idea of promises to, I think, help us think through this decision. Again, he holds out that he says one way leads to life and the other way leads to destruction. It's where these two paths go. And, and that's, that's helpful because if I'm going to, if I'm standing here looking at these gates, and I'm, I'm being encouraged to take the, 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 the narrow gate and the narrow way, I want to know, well, where does this go? Like, this, the wide way actually seems better. Like, this seems more logical in the moment from my viewpoint, so I want to know where this narrow road leads. Where's this going? And Jesus says, it's going to life. But it's still like, okay, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Well, what he means by that is Jesus has already done what he's asking us to do. Jesus has already taken the narrow road. He he left heaven, he came to earth, what theologians call the incarnation, became a human. That was a narrow decision, that was a narrow road. Um, The earth is not a pleasant place compared to heaven. It's just not, right? And then then Jesus lives a life here on earth as a human being, um, gets humiliated when he's arrested. It's very narrow talking about suffering a crushing, horrific death on the cross, narrow, dead for three days, narrow, and then he comes back to life. He's brought back from the dead. Jesus rises, conquering that narrow way. He conquered it so that when we go through the narrow way, it may lead to life. So not both roads don't lead to destruction. Now one road leads to life because Jesus has walked that road ahead of us. And we can guarantee what he says this road leads to life, we can bank on it. Why? Because of the gospel, that Jesus has already walked this road for us. So we can trust him when he says the narrow road. Doesn't look like it at first, but it leads to life. So in all of this, I think the most important part for us to see on this passage is the promise of life at the end of the narrow way. Right, when we get down this pathway, when we walk this, this way called the narrow way, it will end in life. And this is the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's promising us if you live according to the kingdom, then you're going to receive the benefits. You're going to, you're going to flourish. This is the way of the kingdom. It's, again, back to the Beatitudes. These are the promises found in the Beatitudes. And it shouldn't surprise us. I think one of the, the rules, of, uh, rules of life or laws of the universe is that if we all think about it, that when we've, when we've received something good, when we've received something life giving, something good happens to us, it probably cost us something. You just think about that. Like when, when you obtain something good, it, prob- it probably took some effort, it probably took some, some pain. Maybe you went through a challenge and you came out on the other side and you were given, like most good things in life require some effort or some challenge. You have to go through pain to get there. So when Jesus puts this before us, we shouldn't be shocked. I think this is the way the world works. I mean, you take, um, um, you know, eating and and exercise. These are things that um, some people enjoy those things. But I think especially at the beginning, when you start doing those things, You don't do those because of of the activity in and of itself. Nobody loves, like, hey, I'm just going to completely clean up my diet, and I'm just going to love it this first week of doing that. I'm just so looking forward to being able to clean up my, and it's going to be so easy. No. Like, we don't do it for that. We do it for what that change of our lifestyle is actually going to get us. More energy, better health, ability to focus. The ability to, 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 to live a, a longer, maybe a longer, healthier life where we can spend more time with our kids or our grandkids. Like, we don't do those things for the actual thing in and of itself. That's the, the narrow path. That's the gate you have to walk through to actually get what the promise is. And that's health. And this just you can go across the board. This works for, with a lot of things. In March, um, Nicole and I, for the first time, decided to take our three-year-old on, our, on his on our first really long road trip, right? So, we decided that uh, we were going to go to, well, we were debating on whether we were going to go to Colorado to, on a little ski trip with some family members. And so we had this decision to make, right? Like, is it worth it to go through a 12-hour road trip with a three-year-old for what's going to wait at the other end, right? And so we had this decision to make. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is there going to be, it's going to be difficult? Yes. But is it worth it? And we determined, yes, it was worth it. And so, you know, it was a pretty good trip. We gave him several adult Benadryl, and he was out for the whole time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. Um, we actually um, uh, put, put, a, put a movie in front of him for 12 hours, and that seemed to work well. Don't judge me. You'll do the same thing, right? Like, that didn't work out well, because then he didn't even enjoy skiing, because he was begging for more movies the whole trip, right? Like, we're were this we new at this. We're rookies. Like, we didn't know that giving him 12 hours of movies would then actually turn into him wanting movies the whole trip. Like, that's a whole other sermon for another time. Um, but here's the deal. It, it was worth it, right? Like, he got to see, we thought, you know, he, he's going to get to see snow. He's going to get to see mountains, which he doesn't get to see all the time. He's going to get to ski for the first time and enjoy his, his, his cousins. And so we determined that it was worth going through the difficulty to get what laid beyond that. Now, also on road trips, it's a little bit, it's, it's hard when you come back, right? Like if you're on a vacation, especially that road trip back, it's always a little harder. Why? Because you're going back to the real world. Like you don't have like the vacation lying beyond those 12 hours. You have the real world. So it works backwards as well, okay? That, that what's beyond that gate or that road actually is, is a motivator. It helps us And I think Jesus is using that in this passage. He's laying out uh, rewards and punishments as promises to get us to act in a certain way in the present and make this decision. This isn't um, new to the scriptures. We see this throughout the scriptures of God putting these decisions in front of his people. Let's look at a couple of those. Uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is um, talking to um, Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, right? So this is, we, we know from previous verses, this will lead to life, right? Like, uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, like obey my command. So that will lead to life. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and, and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Again, a choice put out to Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. The very next chapter is where it all goes south. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, and now he's questioning the prov- the promises of God? Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Did he really say that Eve and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. You think God's really going to kill you? You know, really? Like, you're, you're, you're it. You're, you're the only humans. He's not going to kill you. Um, then verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, what does Satan go to, the serpent here? What does he go to to actually kind of get Eve to obey him? He goes to the promises of God. He takes the promises of God, distorts them, and twists them, and, and, and Eve falls for it, right? And then Adam falls for it right after that, okay? And then look at Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. This is an important part in the, in the life of God's people. This is right before they were going into the promised land. This is God talking to Moses. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So today, the choice that God puts before us, it's, it's to choose life, salvation, freedom, and joy. This is the narrow road. Now, I think this verse can apply to those outside the kingdom of God, non-Christians for sure. I think it can apply to that. But this whole sermon has been aimed at those people inside the kingdom. So I think it definitely applies to us inside the kingdom, those who are followers of Jesus already. So what I think this also means is that there are gonna be narrow road and broad road decisions for the rest of our lives. There are gonna be these crucial moments as followers of Jesus where we have decisions to make about which path we're gonna walk down. And I think the answer to this, the key to this, is our faith. Having faith that that we know what lies beyond and trusting that we can't see the end of this path, we don't know where this is going to lead, but we're going to trust because Jesus says it leads to life, that it's going to lead to life. Now, I want to just kind of pause and, and make sure that, that here that oftentimes when the gospel is presented, and I think this is done in evangelism, that only the benefits of the kingdom of God, of the Christian life, are, are set. To try to get people to believe, right? Like you want to make you want to make it really appealing to believe in Jesus, right? To get people to get people saved. And I and I get that. There's a part of all of us that wants that. But we also have to tell both sides of the story. And, and we have to understand that um, there are narrow points, there are narrow places in the life of a follower of Jesus. Just because you profess faith does not make your life. Um, necessarily any easier, right? It doesn't prevent you from difficult things. It doesn't prevent you from getting sick or losing loved ones or any of that stuff. All it does is it gives, you, it gives you a Father in heaven that loves you. It gives you the Holy Spirit. It gives you a community to be able to walk through those things with. That's a benefit of the kingdom, but it doesn't prevent us from having a difficult life. And when the kingdom of God is presented like this, being a, the Christian life is presented like this, what happens is someone gets in or becomes a Christian and the first sign of difficulty or hardship, they're like, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. I was told that this was going to be all joy all the time and nothing else. And that is, hopefully from this passage, we see that is not what Jesus is teaching. And we see from just the saints and the scriptures that, that some of the most difficult lives that people faced in the scriptures were from the people who loved God the most. It's called narrow because Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. To put God and others in front of our own desires. Does that throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. So here's what I, I want to talk to a couple different people in here, I think, to close. Um, some of you, I think, here are thinking, um, this, this Jesus thing isn't working. Maybe I'm trying this. I've tried this maybe for several years, and it's just not working. I just don't, I, I'm not growing. I don't feel the the, the the presence of the Holy Spirit like people talk about. Um, it's just not working for me. It's not helping in my life. And I would ask you, I would put a question to you and just say, Are you attempting to live the lifestyle that Jesus lays out in the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount? Are, are you attempting to live that kind of lifestyle? Are you, are you attempting and striving to, to, to learn about God and know Him and hear from Him as you read His Word? Do you communicate with Him through prayer? This is part of the narrow road. This is part of putting some habits and disciplines in place to say no to some things and say yes to other things to allow yourself to experience the life that he promises. This is part of the narrow way. We don't just fall into having a strong faith. We don't just fall into experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. We all want that, but we don't just fall into that. It's like the person who, who buys something and, and they say, you know, that thing, that thing I bought that I never used, it just doesn't work, right? Or, hey, that, that diet that I tried, that, that, that I tried for a couple of days, it just doesn't work. Like, I tried it and it doesn't work. Well, it, there's a reason why it didn't work, right? There, there was no effort. There was nothing put into that to, 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 to give yourself to Jesus, to give yourself to the lifestyle, now, on the other side, when I say hard, I don't want to mean that it's a lack of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We are promised in Galatians 5, Paul says, we will experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are given to us by the Spirit. We become followers of Jesus. Again, not automatically. It takes a lifetime to cultivate these things and see these things in our life. But that's life. Like, that's the life that awaits us. So, becoming a follower of Jesus is, is awesome. It's great. It's life rather than destruction, but it's also narrow, and it's not wide all the time. And we have to know both sides of this. One quote that we like to quote a lot here, and, and I love it, it it's, it's by Dallas Willard. It says, grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. I'll say it again. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn grace. It's given to us freely. Our salvation is given to us freely. But grace is not opposed to effort. Effort is required in the kingdom of God. This, this gets hard, right? It's hard to have faith sometimes. But if you're here and, and, and you're struggling with, with faith, I would say don't wait for, for Jesus to, to do something else for you. Don't wait for more data. Don't wait for a sign. Like this decision put out in front of us today, maybe for you and, and, and maybe, a, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and it's a certain area of your life. Like have faith in that area. Take the narrow road in that area, whatever it is for you today. Trust God. Have faith. Don't wait for something else that Jesus is saying, I, I've, I've, I've proven myself faithful. I've proven myself worthy to follow. I've proven myself as one who, who loves you. I've done the work. I've done the work to bring you into the kingdom. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Now, those of you in here who are, who are hurting right now, I want to stop and, and, and maybe you 're in that narrow way and remember the that, it, that that what that really means it's it's constricting it's it's pressure it it, the, it, it creates velocity when it 's put on water right this is what narrow means and some of you all are in the middle of that right now, and you 're feeling it and you and your your faith is is weak and it 's shaky and my I, I, as a pastor, I just want to say I, I hang in there Jesus is with you you 're a follower of if you're a follower of christ you have the holy spirit with you he's near to you even when you don't feel it even if things aren't turning out the way you want to do he's near you he loves you and when jesus reaches out to 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 call you to himself it's with hands that have scars from the nails and the suffering and the narrow way he went that he went through to purchase you he loves you so hang in there Grab other people. Grab the community. Borrow their faith for a while until your faith gets stronger. That's part of being the church, okay? It will get better. The promise is life on beyond the narrow gate, beyond the narrow way. Life is promised to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, once again, your word and we thank you for even though this is a you're challenging us today with this text and you're you're putting us to a decision point we're thankful that you do that um, i just pray that as as we're all followers of jesus people who aren't who are who, who are not followers of jesus in this room I just pray that your spirit would help us during this time. Help us clarify things as we move into a time of communion, as we create some space for some quiet. I pray that you would be clear with us where we maybe need to exercise more faith. Maybe we need to choose the narrow way at a point in our life. Maybe there's someone in here who doesn't have faith. Maybe they thought that they were a follower of Jesus, but maybe there's someone in here that, that maybe thinks they're not. So I pray that you would help all of us wherever that we're at to, to trust you and, and believe in you and trust in your grace and your mercy and have faith in you wherever we find ourselves this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.